0: You can always catch up on Mike's teaching on our website at ccmit.org. We're currently going through the book of Luke in a series titled, The Uncommon Gospel. So grab your Bible, turn up the volume, and follow along with us. Here's Pastor Mike.
1: Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Glad you're here this morning. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, starting a new chapter message titled, Reserved. Verse 6, and... And they could not answer him regarding these things because their oral tradition said that you could do that. You I know, mean, of course, the law said you could do that, but their oral tradition said that if somebody was injured or hurt, you could not aid their wellness until the sabbath was over so like if they were bleeding out you could stop the bleeding there were certain things that you could do specifically but you couldn't put salve on it you couldn't bandage it you couldn't set a break you couldn't do any of that stuff until the sabbath was over and so you know basically they're like you know you, you can't heal on the sabbath either and so they were not allowing and of course that's not even in the law that was just their oral tradition but they weren't allowing jesus or did not want jesus to heal somebody on the sabbath day But how does God feel about that, really? I mean, think about it. In Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5, and I'm reading this out of the NIV, just because it it fits better with what I'm going to say. But it says in Psalm 103, verse 2 through 5, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, uh, the reason I read this psalm and this section of the psalm is because it reminds me of that story of Dwayne Miller. And you've probably heard this story before, but if you haven't, it's pretty amazing. Dwayne Miller was a pastor who was leading a big church, and during their second service, he was singing a solo, and while he was singing, at the end of the service, his voice started to crack, and it started to, he started, started having a hard time singing. And so he was con- concerned about it, but he figured just getting a cold or laryngitis or something, but then it just never went away. And as they went in to look at his throat and scoped him, they found out that the mylar covering of his voice box was eaten away by a virus, and that he basically had permanent damage to his voice box, and so he was basically... Uh, Going to sound you know really raspy and super raspy. If you listen to the recording of the audio of him talking, you you hear that just horrible rasp, and he just has a hard. T- you have a hard time hearing him. Well. He was a pastor of a church, and so he had to actually step down from that, and he worked for a while for a lawyer doing some stuff, and then he he realized, you know, I have a gift at writing, so he started writing books and stuff and writing articles. He had some success in that, but the problem is, is if you write books, you still have to promote those books, and you have to go and, you know, travel around and talk to people, and so... The publishers he, were sending him, he was sending to, they said we like your stuff, but you wouldn't really be able to promote it. And so that that morning, he had gotten a, a rejection letter from the last publisher he'd sent his book to, and he was super depressed. And he went to church that morning, and at church he taught a adult Bible study, and he was taking them through the Psalms. And they had this special microphone that helped to filter out, you know, the rasp in his voice a little bit. It's still really bad, but he's going through this passage, and and he talks about how God heals all our diseases, and he he says, you know, I. I know God can heal, and, and he doesn't always heal, though. Sometimes he chooses not to heal, and, you know, and, of course, he's speaking from his own experience. And, and he's talking about, but then when he gets to this part, and he redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you, you can hear this crack in his voice, and the Lord heals him on the tape. It's amazing to listen to. It just completely heals him, and then, like, he goes to the rest <laughs> of the psalm, but he's pretty much crying and overwhelmed by everything that was going on. And, and so God does that. When we're in that pit... You know, no matter how deep a pit or deep a hole we're in, it doesn't matter what day it is, God cares about us and he can redeem our our life from the pit. You know, sometimes he has timing on all these things and no doubt this man with dropsy, his day was that day. And why would we wait another day if God's going to heal somebody from something or deliver them from a, a deep depression? Why would we want to wait another day? Why can't that happen on the Sabbath day as well? And, of course, so Jesus is trying to break down these preconceived ideas and these preconceived notions and the attitudes of these people and the traditions that they held that were not biblical. And verse 7, it says, And so he told a parable to those who invited, he were invited, so all the guests, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with, the same, with shame to take the lowest place. So so Jesus seems to be giving them good advice on banquet etiquette. You know, if you're at a banquet, you know, try this instead of that. Do this instead of that. You know, that type of a thing. You know, to, to keep yourself from being embarrassed, you know, and... and and yet the truth is, is that Jesus knew their hearts. He, he noticed, it says, that they chose the best places. In fact, of the scribes and Pharisees, he says in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 6 through 7, they love the best places at the feast and the best seats at the synagogue. Greetings in the marketplace and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They loved it. This is what they were living for. This was what made them feel important and what made them feel you know uplifted or whatever jesus however would instruct us very differently one instance of that he said to his disciples in matthew 18 verse 4 therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven he would tell us that that we're to be that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is going to be the slave of all or the servant of all and so he had a very different idea—an upside-down kingdom idea of the way that we should be, rather than working our way to the top. That we, as as believers or those members of the kingdom, would work our way to the bottom, to lower ourselves, to humble ourselves, to not be about ourselves at all, but rather to be about other people. And, and what this tells me is that this tells me that Jesus loved these Pharisees. He had compassion on them and he loved them, but knew that their pride was keeping them from salvation. Ray Comfort, the evangelist, was on an airplane one time, and, and a, a cardinal from the Catholic Church got on the plane. He was all in his regalia and everything, and robes and stuff. And he sat down, and he says, "Hey, I'm Ray. You know, I, I'm am I'm a pastor." He says, "He says, well, I'm a cardinal in the you know basically just you know, I'm a cardinal in the Catholic Church." And, and he says, "Are you born again?" And he looks at him and he says, I don't use such low-grade language. And Ray said, actually, Jesus is the one who said that. And he's like, oh, well, I guess I, guess I didn't know that. I'm sorry. No, that's, <laughs> that's important. And so then he, he says he showed him his pride and joy, which is a, a picture of the, the, the detergent's prides and joy. He's Like, you want to see my pride and joy? <laughs> and, he showed, and just, you know, broke the ice and got the guy talking. And shared the gospel with this guy. Because God cares about even people who feel like they're super important or super high up or religious or I'm a religious leader of some kind. Jesus cares about those people too. And and so this guy, these, these guys here in text here, these Pharisees and stuff, Jesus cared about them and he wanted them to know the truth. And so he says, but when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Now, certainly, if you were to be in that situation, you take a, a fancy seat, you know, somebody, maybe it belongs to somebody else, and you take that fancy seat, thinking that you're worthy of it, and they tell you, go down lower, that's super humbling. You know, that's embarrassing. And, and you know, you think about it, like everybody's going to take all the spots up to the lowest spot, and so the only thing that's going to be left is for you to go all the way to the bottom which is not so good. And, and, and yet, we also know <laughs> that if we take the lowest seat, then we might get left there. Like, think about it. You, you take that lowest seat, and the guy, the banquet master, comes in and sees you there, and he's like, oh, hey, hey, you know, and just walks on by. And you're, gonna get, you know, you're in the lowest seat, and everybody sees you in the lowest seat. And how embarrassing is that going to be? But there's a potential that you could be promoted. You know, hey, you know, go sit up there. The thing about it is, is it isn't too on, too hard when we're honest with ourselves to know that we actually deserve the lowest spot. And I, and I think that that's what we need to be to be aware of. Now I think that's probably easier for some of us to believe and you know if I were to survey you most of you would say yeah I deserve the lowest spot but not everybody. You know it's it's interesting, you know our upbringing can have a lot to do with the way we perceive ourselves or how we think of ourselves and I don't know what what changes it for different people you know and I think sometimes coming from hard places and you know just being all about yourself can lead you to to exalting yourself but I was at a training one time and there was there was a, a guy a guy actually goes to my seminary class my cohort he was he was there and he has this like perfect home life like he grew up in a perfect family and everything and they they bring him up there and they're they're asking him you know you know if you uh, walk into a room of people do you think that you know what's your your impression of the people there? Do you think that you know, on an average group of people you walk into, that everybody would like you and that they could potentially be your friends? He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, of course." And I'm just like, "What?" You know, because I don't feel that way. You know, I kind of had a rough home life, and you know, a lot of times when I walk into a room, I'm like, I don't think anybody will like me. You know, I'm just—that's just the way I think.
0: Thanks again for listening to Abide in Truth with Pastor Mike Hughes. If you would like a copy of today's sermon in its entirety.